Hello and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is a conversation with Sammy Dowling. Sammy is the head strength and conditioning coach with the Dublin Ladies Football Team, as well as Dundalk FC. These are two new roles for Sammy. He has previous experience working in the Irish hockey team, as well as working with Leinster Rugby and a number of other GAA teams as well. So he's been in the industry for a very, very long time, has a wealth of experience, and he brought all of the experience to this conversation today, which was thoroughly enjoyable. Really, really in-depth conversation about some things that we don't really talk about much as coaches in terms of handling assistance, transitioning to managerial roles, dealing with players, connecting with management, taking a step away from coaching at times to give our best self to the coaching, switching off when we are switching off, giving our time to our family and our friends and being the best coach that we can be as a result. So a really, really enjoyable recording of this podcast, a really, really enjoyable conversation with a top quality guy and a top quality coach. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Sammy Dowling, welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Great to have you here. And like we're talking off air, just all golf talk, really. A bit of S&C splattered in, but talking a little bit about your new roles with Dublin and with Dundalk. But similarly, and truthfully, it is great that we're talking about other things other than S&C because that's shown how far we've come in our journey. Uh, So how is the work-life balance and how are the new roles going for you at the moment? Um, thank you for having me, Petey. Um, New roles are going really well. Um, yeah, I started with the Dublin Ladies squad in December, and then uh, it started January with Dundalk. Um, both of them, I suppose, being in the pre-season phase when I started with both of them. So I, I, as a result, I was extremely busy during the, mm-hmm. the month of January and, and kind of leading into Feb before we entered the league phase for both of them. Um, there were two really exciting opportunities when they kind of came up and presented. I um, couldn't find a reason to say no. I like thankfully had the support of my wife, which is uh, the main reason I'm able to do both of them. Um, because I, I suppose she understands how much I love coaching. And it was an opportunity for me to get back involved into full-time coaching, which I hadn't done since uh, since the start of lockdown, really. So um yeah, uh, look, truthfully, the, the the balance is still a juggle, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. And um, we're kind of navigating the that 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 very heavy phase right now, which both teams that I'm working with are in and, and are starting to exit. So it's now nice because I I you know I'm home just a little bit more and uh, I'm able to alleviate a little bit of the the, the stress at home. And yeah, look, truthfully, I, I, I do miss it because I've gone from over the last three years, not having coached full time, having to spend a lot of time with my family and kids to now learning how to balance that. And uh, like I said, I wouldn't be able to do it without support my wife or our families, um, particularly with the with the with the twins. They're only about 18 months old. So um a little bit tough. Like my son a couple of weeks ago said to my wife, um, when dad's home next from work, is he gonna bring me a toy from the airport? And he he genuinely thought I was out of the country because he hadn't seen me for five days. And I was just leaving early in the morning and coming home late at night where I was able to see the the, the girls because if they were up at night, I was going into them. But um, it's now nice. There's, there's, there's more time. But um, I suppose it's a decision that, you know, um, I made with my wife. And it's one that she supported me on because she knows I, I ultimately love coaching. 
yeah that sounds incredibly difficult like especially when your son is saying stuff like that that probably hit you right in in the um plexus I suppose but do you think it's a case that it's the stage of the season and because it's new roles as well there's more front-end work that needs to be done currently and then as you find your feet in the new roles and everybody gets more comfortable with the new system you'll have more time to give the family but you also have told me previously as well it's better than it used to be for sure in terms of you are able to say no at times and say like you don't need me for this I can have another strategy that's going to work just as effectively without me being there because I have three kids and a wife to keep happy and to see and to keep myself happy as well I suppose yeah no definitely I think um it, it's both like you you throw yourself into the deep end at the start because you want to you need to connect with players with management you want to I suppose set up your principles and your systems and I suppose when that's embedded, you're then able to take, you know, a little bit of a step back. Um, unfortunately, like I have, I have helped with both both teams with, within Dublin. I have a really good assistant in in, in Rachel and same with Dundalk in Oisin. Oisin actually really made the transition really smooth for me because um, you know, Graham would have been with Dundalk before I started. And, and to give him credit, he'd set up a really good gym culture. Oisin was doing his internship from June. And his internship actually finished, I believe, in September. But he wanted to experience more time. And um, when I started, before I started and Graham had left, Ushin actually designed the program for the players for the offseason. So they had a really structured and uh, well-programmed offseason. So when I came in, it meant that we could hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Um, Ushin was able to help me throughout preseason. And I suppose give me some context around strengths and weaknesses around certain certain players, gave me a really good injury history profile as well on players. And that just made that transition seamless and and blessed with Dublin, with Rachel to be able to do the exact same thing. So um, I'm able to, I suppose, I suppose with both roles, um, have, have an element of balance that I'm going more towards now in, in the in-season phase. But uh, I was reluctant to do that in the in the preseason phase because mm-hmm. I know how important that that presence is, and uh, and and I suppose being able to have that authority in place is, is crucial. Because if you don't get it right, if you're not there, then as you transition into new role, players don't know who to turn to. Mm-hmm. It's a similar problem you're trying to solve as a coach in your role that you're trying to solve for the players in preseason. It's solving problems before they become problems yeah and not that that's weighing on the negative all the time obviously you're trying to optimize the performance of the players and your performance as uh, a coach but the less problems and the less drawbacks or negatives impacted on you the better you're able to perform and that goes for anything in life so that's what you're managing you're getting more organized and you're working on the things that need to be worked on so that when problems do essentially arise, there is minimal amount of them and you're able to address them straight away. Yeah. And how is that with the coaching staff and how is that in communicating that with your coaching staff that you're working with? Have they been very receptive and open to that? Yeah, probably the most open of all coaching staffs I've worked with, which um, which is, is like a, I suppose maybe it's a sign of, I think it's a sign of, I think coaches are really well educated I think they're 
very open to listening to their support staff and particularly during the preseason phase, handing over the reins to the whether it's the SNC sports scientists, like very blessed within Dundalk to have like a full-time sports scientist who who monitors and reports all the GPS. Um, I've got two physios. Like I said, I've got Oshin who's, who, who assists me as well. So you're not going in on your own, um, which can be a challenge if you go into a club or uh, or into any role when you're doing that. Uh, same with Dublin. You've got, you know, support staff to lean on. Um, and I think ultimately... When they ask questions, if you if you can provide answers, that's all they're looking for. Um, the last thing you want to do is kind of go in blind, um, throw shit against the wall, hope, hoping some of it sticks. I, I think if you're really transparent at the start and um, you ask the coaching staff or the manager in, in, in whichever team you're working with, like what what is your ultimate outcome? What do you want to get not only out of the preseason, but what do you want to get of the, get out of the season? And and both managers. I suppose, outlined what they would expect of the person who took that role. So before I suppose I was appointed, I knew that I wasn't the only person that they were talking to. Um, they wanted to, I suppose, get an, get an understanding of what my philosophy, philosophy was like and see that that merge, see that that align, um, because they were quite open about what they felt that the team needed and that the person who was going to ultimately get that role needed to provide. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to, to be the person that got the role with both teams and and um, the, definitely the philosophies look like they merged and they've aligned. And there's, there's really nice open dialogue and communication, which happens on a daily basis. And I think that's changed over the last couple of years where maybe previously conversations would just happen um, at training or after training. There's, there's, there's dialogue going back and forth throughout the week. Um, and I think that's important. Absolutely. You need to have open lines of communication, for sure, in, in any industry, if you're going to have an effectively working team or a team that works effectively. What you've touched on there, obviously they have been speaking to other people about the role and you were speaking to the couple of them and seeing if the role would fit you. And you said like, it seemed like a right fit earlier on. So what were the key questions you asked yourself to determine whether you were going to be a right fit for the setup, but also the setup was going to be a right fit for you? Um, the, the main thing I was trying to, I suppose, initially with anyone I'm trying to get ahead, get my head around is, is what was the training structure that they previously operated under, um, working back from game day. Okay. So we know this is the day that the game takes place, what happens in the preceding days leading into the game. And then ultimately, um, what kind of performance profiling took place and were the managers aware of that profiling? Were they aware of? you know, certain areas uh, that players needed to work on, what did they believe the areas that mm-hmm. the players needed to work on, as well as what was the information that they were provided with. And that kind of gives me a little bit of shape and understanding around where their philosophy lies and, and if that philosophy can be aligned. So you are attempting to figure out there, decipher whether they have a similar pattern of thinking to you do about not only how to train for physical performance, well, match day performance, but also whether the things that you are seeing or the previous SNC staff are seeing as the things that are necessary to improve, to improve performance are actually the things that are being measured and that the coaches are seeing as the things that need to improve performance. Because if they're not 
just as a, a basic example, if the problem is that the athletes aren't uh, explosive enough or they're not fast enough or there's just too many injuries, but the coach, the head coach is identifying uh, they're not fit enough, then you're going to say, well, I don't know if that's aligned with what is actually happening. So this might be quite a tough job to go into. Yeah. Maybe they're not even like necessarily a tough job. I just want to, I want to be able to see like where exactly do I fit in and how can I impact? Mm -hmm. So how much time am I able to have to be able to provide an impact? Um, And like I said, both teams, I'm very fortunate. I'm getting like more time now to work and coach players I think because of that shared philosophy or that aligned philosophy. And um, I wouldn't have said yes to every team that I've, that I've, I suppose, worked with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and more often than not, that's what it just comes down to. It's that, look, I, I don't think it's going to work out because in terms of what you're looking for, the level of access that I need um, isn't present at the moment. And it doesn't sound like it, there's buy-in to, to, to get that. And, um, and that's okay as well. Like I, I can't like, think every manager or head coach has their challenges and it's not it's not an easy role it's not one I would ever take up um and they have a vision and they have a philosophy and that's ultimately what they stick to and, and if it's something that you can work with them that's great and if it's not that that's also okay yeah because they're looking for somebody else that's yeah. going to be able to fit what they need yeah and that's the difficult thing when you're a young coach at least is you say yes to everything even if it's not the right fit for you and you're not the right fit for the job you try yeah. to adapt your coaching style and your personality sometimes even to fit as a role but players and coaches see through that immediately you need to be authentic to what you believe in you can't just mold and adapt to whatever environment you're in because you are a person at the end of the day and like the, the the questions they'll ask like even in terms of providing answers like i'm never looking to change and reinvent the wheel either Mm. and i think that's i'm trying to get an understanding of what current kind of principles are in place and what systems are they following so if i can find some small nuggets uh, or some simple low-hanging fruits that we can attack i'll explain why they are and make them like make some subtle changes um, and but make sure that they're meaningful not Mm. just make a change for the sake of making a change because you're the new coach coming in um and 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 i think and hopefully that they they may have appreciated that because I haven't made big changes going into these roles. This, the previous SNC coaches in place were very knowledgeable. Um, they're still uh, like top class practitioners working with teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've actually done me a favor going in and, and both managers to give them credit, have a huge appreciation for the, the role of the performance staff. So I think that's, that's really helped working with both roles now um that, that i'm involved in perhaps maybe to some other roles that i've been involved in so i think it's a it's 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 a great opportunity and um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how the, the year goes do you know what's probably made that easier as well and what is fantastic is that both assistants were also in place with the previous snc coach so it's not like there's been wholesale changes, as you've said. Like it was fantastic experience for Ushin yeah. to go and do the off-season program, and it helped you and it helped him. Yeah, he also knew the players a little bit better, so he's able to provide more information for you coming in. And then likewise with Rachel as well. Like she's, as you said, the perfect assistant that you could have because she knows all the players individually, and she has the information that you don't when you went in. Yeah. Is there something that you look for immediately when you consult with those assistants 
in relation to how they are going to fit into working with you or how you're going to work together? And is there questions that you ask in relation to finding out whether you guys are going to work well together? Oh, good question. Um, I suppose like off the bat, I'm just looking to get to know them, mm-hmm. like just to get to know them. Uh, you know, ultimately, if we're going to work together, we have to get on. Um, like outside of e- e- even coaching philosophies, it's just being able to have some kind of simple conversations. Uh, but then when it comes down to, I suppose the, the nuts and bolts of it, with both of them, I just I I, I simply just asked them because both of them are running the off season program. Just ask them like questions behind rationale for why they programmed what they did, and once I got to see that, but and both of them, to be to give them credit, were, were were looking for I suppose constructive feedback as to what I would have changed, and I said I wouldn't have changed a single thing in either programs because they ticked all the boxes. And there's many ways to skin a cat, and, and they hated that. I'd say they being did. Coaches, yeah. they're like, no, of course. But, uh, but but ultimately, I said, look. Um, just because I could write a, a program differently doesn't mean it, it makes it better. Yeah, and they've exactly. laid the foundations for the off season in terms of what we want. And then, uh, really, what I want going forward then is is I want them to see me as someone that can that can help them. I don't want them to see themselves as assistants. Mm. Uh, Rachel takes on the lead role for the development squad. Bushing's finishing his final year in college. And uh, I've said to both of them, like anything I can do to help you progress your career, like I'm here to help you with that. So, um, yes, when we're going into the next phase of program, I'll outline the philosophy, um, but I also want you to challenge me. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like that whatever the program is, that that's it set in stone. Um, and we've done the same with the medical department on both teams. We've kind of asked them, well, what is it that you would like in the juicy in terms of trends? Because I think the more holistic this program is, the better it's going to be. And then there's buy-in from every kind of coaching department because then when a player is talking to the physio or talking to the assistant and they're asking questions, they're getting the same answers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that that's important to, to achieve success. Yeah, absolutely. I have thought about something that you just outlined there uh, deeply. And I think maybe there's not a need. Maybe it's just because I am inter- interested in language because I'm a coach. But... Even when I was advertising for my internship and my new assistant roles, and even last year as well, when we had people in, if there is a head strength and conditioning coach, is there a need to refer to the other strength and conditioning coaches as assistant strength and conditioning coaches? Does it kind of put a bit of a hierarchy in place, whereas last year at least when my assistants referred to me as boss yes boss i'd be like natural boss yeah um we're a team because that's what you're trying to evoke yeah it's the same thing as in a team when you have a captain of the team they're still on a level with everybody else they just take on a little bit more additional responsibility in relation to driving everybody on and i think you do that as a head strength and conditioning coach or a head of performance as well so i think sometimes like language is is very important and i think sometimes if you're referring to yourself as an assistant strength and conditioning coach um it can imply that you don't have the same level of responsibility in the role and you don't have the same autonomy in what's going on whereas as you said there you want your your team your performance staff that you're working with to challenge it because it just becomes a vacuum if it's yes sir no sir yeah bags full sir no i agree i think yeah that like 
I don't call them assistants down to their face. And yeah. I, I, you're you're right. And I mean, we technically Oshin is still on internship. But I don't I don't call him an intern. Mm. And when he's introduced to yeah. new players that have come into the club over the last couple of weeks, he's introduced as Oshin is working with me. Yeah, he's part of the SNC coaching team. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I think it's only fair, and both of them have the level of responsibility to do anything I do when I'm not there. Mm. Um, like next week, for example, I'm going on my golf trip to Scotland. Yeah, and on Tuesday, um, the girls are going to be doing uh, some testing. And I'm not going to change the testing day because I'm not going to be present. Mm-hmm. A younger me would have. Yeah. Because I would have felt like I need that control. Like if I'm not there, how do I know it all goes exactly to plan? Uh, but Which I, you won't. No, no, exactly. <laughs> but I fully trust Rachel. And more importantly, all the players trust Rachel. Yeah. And it's the same when Ushin, Ushin will cover a lot of the match warm-up days. And the players will trust him just as if I'm I'm there doing the match warm-up or if I'm away. So it's it's really important, I think, to establish that that connection and that trust. Yeah. Uh, because they they have the ability to do everything that I do. And they'll ask a lot of questions because they may not fully trust that they can do the full role, mm-hmm. but they can. And 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 it, it's my job to give them that confidence yeah. so that they can step into that role whenever they want to. Um, and I, I and I suppose both managers were very conscious when 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 we first met about my family commitment because both of them knew I've three young kids, and um, that was you know something that was openly talked about mm-hmm. to, to 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 get that level of understanding that as much as I want to do this role one hundred percent, I could be here for every single session, every single game. I'm, I'm just not in that position to do that at this moment in time. Giving the role a hundred percent does not mean giving it 100% of your attention. In fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. And that was something that I spoke about on my podcast about the dual sport athlete, saying that you can still give 100% to hurling or 100% to football, but you're not going to be able to give 100%, 100% of the time to both. So in order to give 100% to both, um, in this case, being career and family life, you've got to have a fine balance between the two in terms of time. Uh, and also giving a hundred percent to both of those will feed the other one because there's such different things that it will refill your cup to be able to step away from the career, switch off from it and stop thinking about it. Whereas in the past, I definitely would have thought like if I'm not working, it's not advantageous to me. Nothing good is coming from it where Whereas when you get a little bit older in the industry, you figure out the hard way that that's not the way to do it. Yeah, you just have to run yourself into the ground a couple of times yeah. before you learn. Because I've been there. Like I've, I've, I, I remember being that person that, that felt like they had to be there for every session, uh, for every game, for, for everything. And, and and if you do that, you end up being present so you're you're physically there all the time, but your ability to actually mentally be there and give value starts to dissipate mm-hmm. and and you actually run yourself into the ground. It happened to me in 2012. And you know, you know, my wife had to eventually tell me that like if she just reminded me one day that I hadn't taken a day off in 80 days. Wow. Yeah. And that didn't bother me, but like and it's not that this but by the way, that's not me. That's not Project that not, <laughs> yeah. It's not that like, oh well, you don't make progress and unless you do that. No, it's it's not that at all. It, no. I was just engrossed in it and I loved it so much that um 
that's eventually what happened. And it was because I was starting to get, I was getting, you know, more colds than what I normally would. I was actually losing some weight. So things were happening physically that I, that I didn't recognize myself. And like you said, you actually have to be able to, to be able to take a step back, mm-hmm. uh, take some time away. It actually helps. It helps the, it give you the ability to contribute more mm-hmm. and you don't physically have to be present all the time. And look, that also just comes down to um, a level of transparency and understanding of what the management expect of you or what mm-hmm. the manager expects of you. And at the time, I didn't know. I didn't, that communication wasn't there. So I just thought. You're I'm afraid expect- to ask yeah, as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. And after that happened, I remember coming up to um, the month of June is the only time when you work with Lens every time that you got a block of time off so that's when you took your holidays and I felt so bad going up to Pat who was the Dublin manager at the time saying look like is it okay if I go on holidays with my wife because it's the only time I get off and I was willing to cancel the holiday and like you know I suppose you know deal with it at home but he was like no of course like that's your only time i understand it and like and it's a good job he said oh of course yeah but three I, kids I, now yeah. and still have a wife yeah <laughs> and um and that was before she was my wife to be fair so she, she stuck it out but um and you'll get some grief from players but they do it jokingly and it's just yeah. about just not taking it to heart i mean well ultimately they understand that you know we all need to refill our cup mm-hmm. and and if we don't we're no use yeah and and and, and but it's just it, it, it it's tough to do and and i suppose maybe you don't recognize it until mm-hmm. you until you've run yourself into the ground and you realize that you know that's not repeatable and you're you're you're, you're it, that is not sustainable absolutely and it's important to note when i said wow as well it wasn't like a wow in terms of great job man yeah, because no, we're not yeah. Sorry to any American listeners, we're not going to glamorize working yourself into the ground and taking no days off and whatnot, because it's just not intelligent to do that. It's not emotionally intelligent. It's not intelligent from a career perspective, professional perspective. I do admire people that have the level of um, attention and the level of uh, just drive to continue to do that. But at the same time, when you hear the likes of David Goggins or any of them talk, you realize that his ability to do that is because he just cuts out everything else out of his life to be able to intensely focus on that. Um, And he's so present in the moment that that is what enables him to do it. Like he has zero distractions. You hear about his day and it's very like, it's not what people think it is like, he he's sitting down meditating for hours and even on his long runs, that's probably a form of meditation as well, but he's also not dealing with so many people. He's not dealing with anyone. So that probably makes it easier. Whereas as a coach, you're going to deal with multiple people and have multiple conversations and have to manage multiple relationships in a day. Like you could converse with 50 plus people in a day and all of the time you're trying to decipher information from them and ask the right questions and whatnot. And what just, spurred to mind there from uh, our conversation previously is I think as coaches because we're so caught up in it and we're so motivated to do well and we think about it so intently and we really want to provide the best value of service that we possibly can it leads to an inability to switch off and I was just thinking that what do 
a lot of SNC coaches enjoy doing to switch off then. And the, for the two of us, it's golf. And for other coaches, it's typically jujitsu. Yeah. And <laughs> do you know the reason that we do that is, I reckon, because we're all so bad at the endeavor, we have to intensely focus and not think about SNC coaching whatsoever yeah. for the whole duration of yeah. of the whole thing like when i'm on the golf course for four hours i don't think about snc whatsoever i'm just yeah. thinking about my next shot yeah and i think that's similarly why so many snc coaches like jujitsu because there's no moment to not think about what you're doing so yeah. it's very important as an snc coach to find an endeavor away from coaching and away from watching and observing sport and um, that refills your cup and I think that it doesn't have to be even sport. It could be music. It could be anything. But yeah. it's about getting back to the things that you used to do when you were younger before you became a coach. Because we know that when you go into the industry initially for that five to ten year period, initially you're all in, and its ability and it's your ability to continue to be all in in what you're doing is dictated by your ability to be all out at certain periods as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. And probably um, it's a mistake I made early on in my career that my my switch-off time became competitive weightlifting. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I enjoyed it as a sport, I then became involved in it as coaching. So before I realized it, it wasn't switch-off. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of choosing something that is completely unrelated to the profession, I think is so important. And as we talked about off air, I just wish I started playing golf sooner mm. <laughs> because like, likewise, it's, I completely switch off. I put my phone in my bag. I, I check it maybe every three, four holes just to see, you know, is, is everything okay at home? Mm. But apart from that, if there are any messages or any calls that have come in, that are not related to my family, they're just not answered. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it later on. I'll deal with it after four hours if it's, you know, it can wait. Mm-hmm. Um, it does take, you know, time and maturity to, yeah. to recognize that. And um, that's probably the only thing that, like, I, I really enjoy taking it on interns every year, taking them on every year, pretty much for the last decade. And, you know, they'll ask lots of questions. And if there's one thing I, I just hope they walk away with is that, you know, just like, genuinely enjoy your time coaching and don't mm-hmm. wish the years away because I just always like I just wanted experience when I just didn't realize I need to earn it mm-hmm. but I also need to enjoy the journey of coaching as mm-hmm. opposed to wanting to know everything and, and you'll get some really good questions from time to time and mm-hmm. um, but ultimately when it you know when a student asks you like how can I know more about what I don't know and um, like what book should I read what you know what, what should I look up? Like, what should I invest time into to um, speed up the process? And it's like, don't spend up time speeding up the process. Mm-hmm. Just in, enjoy the journey. Don't think too much about where you want to be in five and 10 years time, um, which is something I was obsessed about when I was younger. And like, I'd love to go back in time, smack that guy in the face and just say, look, just enjoy this. Enjoy who you're coaching with. Don't crave more coaching time. Don't say yes to everything. Um, soak up and reflect with what you're doing right now and that will be worth more than trying to gain that experience because that'll just come with time and it takes time 
I interrupt the podcast to let you know that PD Performance and Nutricate.com have teamed up to deliver the GAA Elite Athlete Blueprint. The GAA Elite Athlete Blueprint is a monthly subscription to elite level strength and conditioning programming and specific elite level nutritional assistance to improve your strength, speed, power, change of direction and conditioning ability for Gaelic Games. We are interested in taking your game to the next level. We have 10 spaces available in the March cohort and if you're interested in signing up and taking one of those spaces, do not wait. Get in touch immediately, drop me a DM on socials or drop Kate a DM on socials with the word elite and we will transition you into the program and the platform as soon as we possibly can. We are really, really excited about what we've been putting together and can't wait to deliver it to club level players around the country. We are taking on the mission of improving the standard of care delivered in terms of SNC and nutritional practice to the club level athlete. So get in touch immediately, drop me a DM with the word elite, or you may miss out. And now, back to the podcast. So like you just touched on there, like you've been in the industry for quite a long time and you've worked with really successful teams down through the years. But it seems like your own personal development in both professional and outside of it has continued nice and steadily throughout that other than a few minor blips but with all the teams that you've worked with I thought it'd be an interesting question to ask you what were the lessons that you've learned over the short periods of your career or an even harder question if you were to split your career up your career to date up into chapters what would the title of the chapters be that's a good one um the early stage was probably you're thrown in the deep end and you're 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 looking to see you know it's sink or swim mm-hmm. because I was very fortunate to start working in professional coaching with Leinster at 21. Um and I I I did recognize how lucky I was. That's definitely I didn't take that for granted. And I was thrown in the deep end, essentially to see who sinks, who swims. And I was I was extremely fortunate to have two very good mentors when I started, Dave Fagan um, and and Daniel Tobin. I ended up living with Daniel actually. We we shared a house together for uh, about two years, and I developed, I suppose, through them, a skill set that the academy and sub academy needed at the time, which was just the technical ability to coach well and that's just what I became became a very good technical lifting coach technical speed coach um but then I suppose I got to the the next stage which was that's what I became known as Mm -hmm. so I suppose the following chapter uh probably um is titled like you know develop skill sets um and don't become um, like become open-minded um, become a master of all skill sets because the industry went from a, a phase of having a team with specialists when success then doesn't happen and budgets start to get cut that the generalists are the ones who become you know very valuable and I wish I, I 
became more of a generalist. And that's my advice again that I give to a lot of um, young coaches is become an incredibly good generalist. Even if you love, for example, being a strength coach or you love coaching speed or if you love coaching conditioning, I'm not sure if there's many of them around, by the way, right? Uh, but a lot of us just like put conditioning and energy systems to the side yeah. for as long as possible. But my advice is become a really good generalist um and and definitely like you can have you know um specific elements that you know that that you like more than others um and i suppose the maybe the final chapter or not the final chapter but the chapter then exiting pro coaching is um is the power of networking mm-hmm. um and and again that's the other thing i say to a lot of young coaches is you know network have lots of conversations um Again, be open-minded with the different sports you could work with. There was one intern I had once, and it was so frustrating. I had a small coaching role available for him to work with a, a local GAA club, and he turned around and he said, no, I have no interest working in GAA. Um, and I said, why? He goes, I'm only interested in working in professional rugby. I said, okay, um, you're very much limiting yourself there because yeah. <laughs> there's only four professional teams in Ireland. And... Uh, I said I I I've done pretty well working in 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 in, in GAA and and I said it's actually really enjoyable. You'll yeah. enjoy an awful lot more than what you think you will. Um, and he turned it down and uh, he's exited the the industry now. But um, yeah, be be very open minded because the power of connection is is mega. Like a lot of the roles that I've been fortunate enough to get have have by and large come from contacts that I've worked with or someone that's that that I've worked with and. Without that, like he, like I would have struggled to to coach. So be very open minded in who you'll work with, the sports you'll work with, and that's something that was, I suppose, actually that advice was given to me very early on. It's like be very open minded, um, have diversity, and I really enjoy that. I really enjoy having worked in a couple of different sports, um, because I think what you'll learn from other coaches with skill sets is possibly more valuable than what you'll learn from other SNC coaches. Mm-hmm. What's the chapter plan for the coming next chapter? Um, if, for the first time, I'm, I'm really open-minded and I'm not thinking about the future. Great. It's my, it's my first time doing it. We went into lockdown and um, like the SNC world got rocked and, and my world got rocked. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to sit at home with my wife and my son and to spend lots of time with them and to reflect and think about and and think about if I wanted a career change now at the time to do it, because for the first time in my life, I could see shit I might not be able to provide. It was, it was, it was fucking scary. It hadn't happened to me in a, like ever as an adult. I saw it happen to me to my family when I was a kid. And, and that's probably why. I was very much shaped around like working, mm-hmm. making sure that there's always a rainy day fund there. Um, so when that kind of got rocked, there was an opportunity to kind of move out of structured coaching and more into management. So I did that for a year, but ultimately missed coaching. That's the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Really enjoyed the nine to five aspect, don't get me wrong. Um, for the first couple of weeks, my son really struggled 
uh, with me sitting at the dinner table. He couldn't get he couldn't get away with murder. He would like the first two nights. He's like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> because I wouldn't have dinner with him. I'd have breakfast with him, but yeah. I wouldn't be home till late, right? And um, but it ended up like really enjoyed that aspect, um, and I really missed coaching. So I had an opportunity to coach at get back involved at club level, but I I, I knew I was missing mentorship. That's the biggest thing I, I probably missed since working in in professional sport. And that's when I reached out to Sam, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Portland. And um, without a shadow of a doubt, the best thing I've done for my career was do, was, was do the mentorship program. Because maybe, maybe it's something that's harder to do for um, a coach who's been involved in the industry for 10, 15 years to, I suppose, seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was really good, I suppose, for... Um, providing me with clarity um, and not on the coaching side it was completely mm-hmm. on, on the personal side uh, I got immense value out of the, the coaching material but it was more on the personal side and um, then it was just about a, a bit of a patient game there was an opportunity while I was working just with a club team to again go just a little bit off script for a while working with a, a nutrition app called Hexus mm-hmm. I went in as a, a, a digital media uh, manager um, but but ultimately it was to, to to still work with a performance team and 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 really learned lots from working with them and it kept kind of a foothold in the in that performance world and it was just a a patience game. My wife was really good at, I suppose, highlighting that every year around October November, um, there'll be a few teams that that will that will inquire. It's kind of the time of the year yeah. in the sporting world that uh, that there's opportunities and. I just didn't want to rely on that. And she was just very good at reminding me to stay patient and and and, and wait for the, the right opportunity. It wasn't about the right offer. It was about the right fit. Mm-hmm. And I was just really lucky then that the those two te- those two teams came knocking. It was a, a nice off-season block I did with Ballymon Kickhams, which was brilliant because it got me back into kind of that that full-time, part-time coaching role for 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 about 10, 12 weeks. And the Dublin role and the Dock role came within four weeks of each other. And um, it was just like my wife knew that was something I wanted to do. She could kind of see that as much as I had tried to transition and it was something I did for a year, but that it was it was something that wasn't filling my cup. And it's just about working now to find that balance where my cup is filled from a... a you know, a value point of view where I feel valued. Um, because ultimately when she asked me, what is it that I'm missing? I said, I, I feel like I've spent 15 years working as a coach, chasing credentials, um, you know, working incredibly hard and to become skilled at something. And I'm not using that skill set on a daily basis. I actually feel very deflated with that. Uh, even though I know that that, that industry is not secure. Mm-hmm. And I know the reason I transitioned was to provide security, but ultimately um, I don't think I could do that. And look, we're fortunate. She worked really hard. She runs a phenomenal business. And um, I was able to take time to, to pursue that. And she was able to, I suppose, really help provide. And it's hard sometimes as, as a guy to do that. Um, I don't like, and it wasn't something that I, I had shame in doing because I know it's a tough thing to confront. 
but she was very supportive of like, Sam, like you can take as long as you need to do this. And if you want to branch into something else, like you do it. And, you know, I took the time to think about it, work with Sam with it. Um, but it all just came back to, you know, this is when I feel, this is when I'm happiest. Yeah. This is genuinely when I feel like I'm able to help people and I can then come home and switch off, which is something I wasn't able to do before. Mm-hmm. I can actually switch off um, and then be present with my family, knowing that when I go to work the next day, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm raring to go. And I haven't had that since, like what I'm experiencing now, I haven't had that since 2014, 2015. I think it's powerful stuff there, like, and a lot of realizations at the one point and both of our development has been shaped by the mentorship program with Sam and the legacy program as well. And obviously we're quite biased because we've done that, but there's so many mentorship programs out there but I don't think that there's any quite like that one at the moment for SNC coaches. And I believe that there are two prototype or archetypes of coaches that need to do that program, the mentorship program. There is the coach that is feeling burnt out by the industry and is wondering what the hell am I supposed to do? And similarly, as you touched on there, there is great, uh, systems around coaching and sports science etc in there but there are a lot of coaches that are like I need to improve as a coach and that's all I need to improve upon so I don't want to work on anything else none of this mushy value stuff and personal development and uh, taking time for myself and self-care yeah. I don't need any of that I just need to improve as a coach in my coaching systems and that was me that was I was that one yeah. and I went in I was like I just want systems I, I can leave all this value stuff and self-care yeah. and all that I, I don't park it I can park it I don't need it and what transpired was what I got the value, the most value out of was actually the self-care and the uh, identifying my values and identifying why I coach and why I do what I do and my behaviors and habits and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't like doing that and working on that throughout the mentorship, but it was necessary. And it definitely accelerated my development as a coach because what the coach that is looking for the improved systematic approach to their coaching and the sports science and increasing their knowledge base is neglecting is they're probably pretty well developed in that area already. And that's why they're interested in doing more because they think if I know more, I'll be a better coach and I'll be better able to implement it. But what they do by doing that and seeking out, like you said, with your, your interns, they neglect the other aspect which is necessary for the development and i think it's very powerful that we both moved to a more rational and level-headed approach to our careers and obviously because we're in it now we believe it but i genuinely do believe we're probably given the best level of service that we have given because we're taking that step back or at least we're trying to yeah no yeah um i i think so too and it's it's crazy because I thought to give a better level of service, I had to physically be present more. And I thought I need more knowledge when in fact, I just need to be, I need to be healthier and um, I need to be happy in life and I need to be um, refreshed. So every time 
when I'm present, that button's turned on. And and it's not that it wasn't turned on before. Mm. I just don't think the output was as good because the the switch off mm. was, was never there. And um, yeah, I hope that I give the best level of service I do to all the athletes and, and I suppose coaches I work with um, more because, not because of my experience, but I think just more because I'm confident about the dialogue and the conversation that we're having and 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 I won't always have the answers and I let them know and I don't and I'll be honest with it and then work to problem solve and, and, and find solutions. Well previously I always thought like you need to have the answers like like as coaches we get uh, I don't even know how many questions we get a day, right? And you feel like you're letting yourself down and the person who's asking if you don't have the answer. So that's why the kind of you know the early part of your career is, is is you feel like you need to just like absorb information so you can provide answers and it doesn't it doesn't really work that way. No. And I think you've touched on there. You were really enjoying the coaching, or you were missing it because you, in the past, had enjoyed it so much, and you only realised that you did enjoy it so much when it wasn't there. But then my question, and it's something that probably we cover in the mentorship as well, is a difficult one. But if you are upon self-reflection and assessing it, um, when you took that step back, did you or were you able to identify why it is you coach and you're not allowed to give the standard S&C answer that, oh, I'm a failed athlete and that's why I coach? Yeah, the, the, the mentorship helped highlight why it is that I love coach. So why, why it is that I love to coach and why it is that I love to help. And ultimately, uh, it is because I, I, I genuinely feel I have skill sets that can help uh, from the get-go. And, and it's why I naturally went into coaching. I started coaching at 18 years of age. So after I did my leave insert, the SNC coach in my school asked me to assist him the following preseason because I just had bought into his program. Look, it helped. He was my cousin. Mm. Um, I like loved lifting <laughs> as a teenager. Um, uh, to my detriment, I wish I spent more time on the conditioning side of things. But when it came to um, training for strength, hypertrophy, speed and power, that was my jam. And as a result of having invested so much time in that as a teenager, I would have had players asking me, you know, for tips and advice. And perhaps he just felt like, you know, it'd be good to have you around. So I've, ultimately, he's an extra set of eyes. He's the lead. I'm just there to help supervise. Um, and when people ask questions, I always gave an answer. Even if I didn't know the answer, I gave an answer. Um, and I just really enjoyed helping. And then over time, I I suppose, I think I developed a good coaching eye. And um, I knew I wasn't um, very academic. That was a huge weakness of mine. But it was something I, I, I suppose I was driven to tackle on later on in my career. But but, but being involved in, in, a, in a team environment and even working with some individual athletes who are asking for help and being able to problem solve for them so that they can perform is just something... I just love, I just love seeing anyone improve. And, and that that's right then from a you know an elite level athlete to um the general pop. Like it's 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 
you know, it's it's really rewarding to see someone make improvements if you're able to, I suppose, provide them with knowledge, and, you know, help guide them through principles and ultimately develop good habits that they can instill. And, and you know, ultimately, it, it, it's my goal to get them to a stage where they can coach themselves. They can program for themselves. I used to get obsessed with, like, you know, spending so much time on programming, thinking it was about, you know, exercise selection, sets and reps, thinking that that's where the detail was. Um, and I suppose I needed to go through that journey to realize that that's not where the detail lies. Um, and I, that's not, I wish I go back and just kind of, you know, inform my younger self of that, that, you know, it's actually about connection and it's about actually understanding um, where the athlete is here now in the present and that when schedules change, it's not the end of the world. Like, it's not the coach's fault that you've spent five hours obsessing about this perfect program. And, and you've written went, 20 weeks yeah, in advance. And you've printed it all off. Um, that's just life. Uh, and look, as a result, I really don't program more than six to 12 weeks in advance. Yeah. And it's it's not about like the detail. That's the lesson you yeah. learned. It's, you know, really it's about, you know, what's the vision and be kind of, uh, I saw, I think it was, it was Jeff uh, Bezos from Amazon had that, um, had that quote was on one of the documentaries I saw. And I think it was, you know, be obsessed about the vision, but be flexible with the detail. And when I heard that, you know, that really struck a chord with me and it was like, okay, well, that's what my coaching philosophy has become. You know, I'm, I'm very strong in my principles um and there's you know there's flexibility in the methods that we want to achieve and really it's about you know really understanding what is the what is the outcome what's the goal here what are we trying to achieve here you know when managers from both teams that i'm working with kind of present that it's important for me to recognize that okay perfect well based on that like there's a couple of ways we can do this and we discuss that and we see what aligns and what fits um where i i just couldn't i couldn't see the wood for the trees with that when i was younger I couldn't. I didn't recognize that. That's where you actually have the biggest impact. And um, it was. It was. It was funny. Orshin, he's brilliant. He wanted to see what's it like to coach uh, in the Dublin ladies team compared to what we do with Dundalk. Um, he's just as grand. He's 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 hungry for more knowledge. He's really hungry to see what's the like. How does that change from setting to setting? So I said, well, look, come along and you'll be able to see and. Um, I said, I want you, because he he was asking me on the way, like, you know, what do you change? What would you do here versus there? I said, well, how about this? How about you just watch the session and then you ask me afterwards? And then you can observe, you can observe and then see, can you plug in the gaps? And it was quite interesting, you know, he said, well, there's a huge difference here is the numbers. When we're working with the players in the dock, we have a really like a max of maybe 18 to 20 players in the room at the one time with the ladies team there's 35 and he was overwhelmed with that and he felt like i just i couldn't manage a room like that i said of course you can mm-hmm. you know um you can develop the the, the skill set to do that um and then he said yeah what, what i noticed is that you very much pair certain players in, in different groups and you have subtle conversations that you're not able to coach everyone but, but you do it in a way where you definitely don't overcoach. Mm-hmm. And I said, that just takes time. I used to overcoach. So I was so bad as a young coach because I thought every rep has to be perfect. 
And look, as long as it's safe, that's ultimately the, we don't accept, a, you know, poor technique. But when you're working with large numbers, you've got to work with what you can. You can't create the perfect, um, you know, scenario of, you know, one coach there, say five players. But what you can create is you can create more coaches in the room. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that is very doable. And if you can achieve that amongst a culture within the squad, I think you're really winning. And it's not just from a coaching point of view. It drives really good um it drives strong culture, desire, like diligence. And um, I think I said to him, that's just what I've learned I've had to do in this environment because I don't have the luxury of having five or six SNC coaches. Um, you need to delegate a, a good deal of trust then as well, which is something that you learn as you get older and as you transition yeah. through the industry because as you touched on there, it's very much initially it's me, it's my, this is my way we're doing it. And this is the only way to do it because I'm right and everybody else is wrong and every other direction that we go in is not going to work because yeah. this is the only way to do it. Whereas you, you you figure out as you get a little bit older, there's many ways that you can get there and there are going to be roadblocks. So you better be able to take the detour when you need to. And you don't get married to exercises. You don't get married to your program. You don't get married to a specific system um although you have your system and you have your ideas and your principles as you said you're flexible in your approach to get there um, because you probably get more exposure to more different environments which you have the benefit of like you've worked in so many different sports um and you've spoken about being a generalist uh, and the benefits of being a generalist but in relation to working in all those different sports how have you taken lessons from each different sport and maybe applied it to what you're doing now? Um, if you can even identify that now, because I know it's so long since you've worked in hockey and um, and rugby as well. Like it's it's probably difficult to do because it's difficult to reflect back eight nine years ago. Yeah, no, really good question. Probably the, the like the the biggest challenge when you transition out of that world is that. The, the resources aren't the same, support staff numbers aren't the same. So what I've tried to do is try and find out, okay, within whatever team I'm working with and the management that's present and the coaches that are present, like what is everyone's jam? What's everyone's strengths? Um, and get them really like taking ownership of their strengths. And then whatever then is the area that's missing, then I force myself, well, I don't force myself, but I then take up the lead role in that missing link. Mm-hmm. So as a team I worked with a couple of years ago, it was a very young young physio ha- had come in to the team and I, I, I could kind of recognize that the physio didn't feel as comfortable leading the return to play pathway as what maybe a, a, another physio with another team that I'd worked with. And that was no to no fault of the physios whatsoever. It just hadn't kind of gone through that stage of their career yet. So with that team, as although I was the lead S and C, primarily eighty percent of my role was was based on t- like leading the return to play pathway, and uh, was fortunate enough, I suppose, to have two very good interns who ultimately led the coaching side of the S and C program. So, um, very much, they understood the principles, the systems were set in place, and they coached it while I was leading the return to play pathway because that was a key area that needed to be filled. Um, And that was the first time I think I was faced with that challenge and I've tried to just continue that process and try and think of, okay, if there's more than one 
performance coach, um, however many numbers you have, what's their strengths and drive their strengths. Let them work on their strengths because they're really comfortable doing it. Then let's do it. And then you work on the area that's missing. And that's forced me then, I suppose, to become a better generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, with a few other teams I've worked with, there's just zero sports science support. You don't have someone who is going to, you know, I suppose, um, capture all of the GPS information that the coaches want in terms of, you know, uploading the information, downloading the data, uh, cropping it and interpreting it and providing reports. And I had zero background in doing it before doing it. So I just reached out to people who I know who had experience in doing it. Uh, my first protocol when I had to do that was to reach out to Peter Tierney. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him, can you train me? Can you train me up on with the absolute basics? And then uh, when I recognized the time that was invested in that and I, I had learned the basics, I then found, uh, I suppose, an assistant that Pete and myself could train them up to do it. So I could just offload that. And again, like you said, delegate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, what I've tried to do ever since. It's it's I think it's really tough even in the club environment to take on a lead role that covers everything from, you know, performance coaching, SNC, sports science, return to play, and do that as one person, like one man or woman cannot do that. Um, so you need to try and figure out a way to develop a team uh, in whatever shape or form you can. But like, like once you do that, you actually become less of a coach and you become more of a manager. Yeah. And, um, and that it's to everybody's benefit. You are one hundred percent. And even though the team that you're working with or the management might not initially see that. Yeah, and they may, they some of them may not like it because they feel like that should be a role that you need to be able to do. But there's just when you kind of highlight that the hours aren't there for that, and then as a result, the service and the quality of the service isn't there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, by and large, most of them do then buy into it. The challenge then there. For, for me as a coach has been, like I said, I've become less of a coaching, more of a manager and developing those skills are very different than coaching. And that's something that I didn't think I'd have as a younger coach because I didn't think I wanted to mm-hmm. as well. I didn't want to be a, um, a performance manager that spent more time on the phone and behind the laptop and less time in the, in the weight room and on the pitch because that's where I felt like I was able to provide most value when um, there's been a bit of a, I think a natural transition to realizing actually that's where I can provide more value, yeah. particularly value for the team. And still, if the coaching is still something you're passionate about and you enjoy doing, you can still get out and coach. Definitely. Give a hand. Like, yeah. um, it, it's to everybody's benefit maybe to delegate a little bit more uh, responsibility to those that will be there coaching all the time and then yeah. for you to manage everything yeah. uh, and it's important to know as well some other coaches will probably have experienced this where they've gone okay I'm a manager now I'm just going completely down the managerial role and I'm not going to coach at all and then you become a little bit um, removed from what's actually happening Where whereas if you're going to be managing people it's good to understand what they're actually doing um on the front line in the coaching like yeah. um and that's how you are able to decipher what the next steps from a managerial perspective would be but anyway um we're running out of time here so last question will make it short enough but is there anything i've 
not asked you that you thought that I might ask you or that you would have liked me to ask you? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, not that I can think of anyway. Has this been everything that you expected it to be? Yeah, like it's it's been very different, I suppose, than um, any previous podcasts I've done or even conversations I've done with coaches. Because I think it's been nice, like we got to know each other through Sam's mentorship and legacy group. And I think uh, it's crazy because, you know, the group is, well, it's, it's, it's virtual, but you know, we're not that, we're literally like 20 minutes apart. Right? <laughs> and then we share so many, there's so many uh, like similar commonalities. And I think it's been nice to kind of have that discussion and recognize that like we both face the exact same challenges yeah. without realizing. And it's, um, it's nice to openly discuss. I think, you know, I wish I did it earlier on in my career. And I just hope that, look, if it's of any value to other coaches, that if they find themselves in that situation, that it's important to do so. It's not like a straightforward career path. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you look at what course you want to do, perfect. And after three or four years of doing that course, then boom, there's the career. That's a job I rock into. It, it, it's far from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also okay. Uh, you're going to find your challenges. And I think, you know, you know, I think today, hopefully, we we, we covered those areas, and have um, hopefully provided some some value to to mm-hmm. the listeners for you for that. We occasionally talk about sets and reps and <laughs> uh, exercise selection and whatnot, but it's five minutes of the conversation because we probably now appreciate the bigger picture a little bit better, which is fantastic. But we're going to finish on quick fire questions. So the first one is proudest achievement to date. Sporting or non-sporting? Neither. Uh, like, well, ultimately, my proudest achievement today is are my kids and my family, my wife, like birth of my kids. You, man, until it happens, you don't realize it. So, like, definitely, like the like watching the three of them enter this world and like seeing the personalities develop is um, is pretty special. Okay, yeah. you're not the first one to say that <laughs> as well. Of all the SNC coaches, it seems. Um, and it's probably because I do interview a lot of males in the industry because there are more males in the industry. But fatherhood is something that's incredibly important to so many people in the industry. And I think we're seeing the growth of the industry now where hopefully those s coaches can be given the time and the resources to be better fathers, which is something that if they're saying it's their proudest achievement is obviously more important than being a good SNC coach, yeah. but it's not necessarily that you have to do one or the other. Yeah, you can do no, both. definitely. And look, it's the main reason, truth be told, when I'm asked why did I not continue when I finished up with Leinster to continue go into professional sport because there were options to do that. And the genuine, honest answer is myself and my wife were, were planning a family and we just saw how tough it was. I saw like an experience firsthand how tough it was for coaches that I worked with uh, who had kids. And who went from two three year contracts from one team to another, and um, it's just not something I want to put my family through. So, it, it, it and it wasn't a tough decision. Like and I like as much as the tough decision right now is, is when I say yes or no to things. The first thing that plays on my mind is how is that going to affect my family, and how much time does that mean that they don't get from me, which isn't an easy one. Because it's like I said, it's a it's a balance between filling your cup. It's a healthy one though. Yeah. Healthy question first question. Like yeah. It's a very important one. Yeah. And it's good that's your first question. Yeah. Next question isn't as significant, but favorite athlete of all time. Um 
so it's it's an easy one for me to give and it, like there's, there's been many in, in every sport and I'm delighted to see he's in the last 12 months re- like received the recognition he deserves which is J- Josh van der Fleer I, I was fortunate enough to coach him from 18 years of age all the way through his academy system and like from the get-go you could see how driven he was and ultimately above all else he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet um, and I was so frustrated in the previous Lions tour not to see him selected, mm. you know, and I've no problem going on record saying they would have won that tour if he was in the team. Um, but like he is world-class. He has been world-class for years and hopefully he'll be world-class for a long time. But to have witnessed coaching him, to be part, having part of that journey and to see what it takes to become that elite professional was 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 is very special. Did he have like did he reinvent the wheel though, or was it just attention to detail and just being so linearly focused and doing the small minor things that add up over time? Because sometimes when we hear like world class, we think like oh he must be doing some mad stuff like this like and there's a, there's a couple of world cup class players in a couple of sports that I I feel myself fortunate to have worked with and I think the common values they all share is like first and foremost they're all good people mm-hmm. right they're really humble genuine good people um number two they are they are so driven in the pursuit of what they want to achieve um like incredibly driven relentless and then number three they know exactly how to turn the push button on and off when they're on they're present irrespective of whether they're uh, getting paid to do so or not. And when the button's off, they're off. Maybe we need to be able to do that. So the yeah. class coaches, what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? Um, I was afraid to go back into full-time coaching. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, first and foremost, I was afraid because I wasn't sure if I still had it in me because I spent a bit of time outside of it. I questioned my ability. Um, and Sam was very good at helping me with that. And I learned that it's okay to be afraid and it's okay to seek for help. And yeah, the last 12 months that, that definitely helped. So that's, yeah, so the biggest thing I've learned is that it's, um, it's okay to be afraid uh, that you're going to fail. Um, but ultimately, once you're open about it and you seek help for it, you can you can overcome any obstacles that are in place. So you've covered a couple of these already, but what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. Um, enjoy the journey. Don't don't wish don't wish the years away. Don't don't want you to. I, I was obsessed with having very much written stone what my next career choice was going to be, where did I want it to end up? Like I was just thinking about, okay, so this is where I am now. So in, in three, five years time, this is where I should be. Three, five years later, I should be there, I should be there. And I just wanted to fast track that that process so I could have the knowledge of what, what I would have in five years time. And I wish I could just go back and go, no, you what you what you really need to do is you just need to enjoy what you're doing right now and learn to switch on and off from your job and um, because it's not your life it's your job 
And if you really learn to enjoy your job, you'll have it for a very, very long time. And it's like, don't obsess about the small details. <laughs> nice. As yeah. hard as that is. Yeah. Too. Thanks a million, Sammy. No, Great you. conversation as always. Appreciate it. Done.